So happy Juneteenth, as Dave said, and happy Father's Day as well. It's a good day. Um, I recently became a father again. I had, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jess and I had our fourth child, our son, Valor. Somebody's signaling five at me. No, 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 no. The Lord, Jesus, Lord, hear my prayer. Four is enough. I was good at three, Jesus. Um, we have four kids. Our, our son, Valor, is going to be a little over, or actually four weeks tomorrow, so just, just under four weeks. So it's been a little crazy. If you see any, like, bags under my eyes, just forgive them, okay? Do I look okay? Whew! But I'm excited. Today, uh, today I'm going to be carrying on our series, The Perfect Parent, which Jess kicked off on Mother's Day. And it's my joy, it's my, my privilege to be here this morning. You know, it's been a couple weeks. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, I just, I thank you for this day. God, I thank you that we do, we get to celebrate two holidays today in one day. Lord, I thank you for the freedom of, of slaves. I thank you for African Americans that now get to be equals, that are equals, have always been equals in your sight, but this country has finally acknowledged that. And Lord, I thank you for fathers today as well. Lord, I thank you for your people. I thank you that you love your children. Lord, I just ask right now that you would fill us. Come on, just invite his presence if you haven't today. Just look to him and say, good morning, Holy Spirit. Hello, Father. Like, we welcome you today. Church without Jesus is meaningless. So Jesus, we look to you, author and perfecter and finisher of our faith. Would you come and fill us? Father, I ask that you would speak to us this morning. You would speak to us anew. Father, whatever we need, whatever we're lacking, whatever you desire for us in our lives, we know you have good plans for us. We know you have purposes for us. We know you look upon us with, with a smile on your face, with favor in your eyes. So Lord, I just ask that you would open our ears, you would open our hearts to whatever you want to say, whatever you want to speak this, this morning. Lord, that we would hear you and we would hear you clearly today. Jesus' name. Come on, turn to somebody and say amen. Amen. Well, this morning, our text, we're going to read from Luke chapter 15. If you want to open your Bibles there. While you're turning there, I, I want to start off today by saying, on Father's Day today, isn't it interesting that when, when God was establishing the way that he would relate to humanity, when God was establishing his government, his rule, and his reign on the earth, he chose to be known as a father. The almighty God, the creator of the universe, he didn't choose to have to be known as this great ruler with his, with his subjects, this government and his taxpayers. He chose to be known as a father. That two-thirds of the Trinity is this familia, this parental relationship between a father and a son for all eternity. Is it just me or is that fascinating? Like it feels, it feels kind of in my own flesh and human nature, it feels like a very human principle, like father and son, but it's not. 
It's like the living God of the universe who lives and breathes and has been alive since time before time even began, has always been and will always be, chose to be known to humanity as a father. This is like the great, the great concept, the ruling principle, the, the truth that we'll forever carry in our hearts that we have a father in heaven who loves us. And I feel like this morning on Father's Day, it's, it's like when we read, when we understand that this is how God chose to set up his government on earth, his rule and his reign, his relating factor with you and I as father and son, as this familia relationship. When we read John 3, 16, one of the commonly, the most commonly quoted scriptures in the Bible, it's like, how powerful is this scripture? For God so what? For God so loved Who? For God so loved the world that what did he do? He gave his one and only son. I don't know my parents in the room. I've had the pleasure of getting to know a lot of you. I've had the pleasure of spending time with you in your homes, of having meals. Of, and, and some of you, there's good times to come. But I can't imagine my little Jude, my son, giving him up for any of you. No offense. I'm just not as good as God. And when we read this, when we understand this reality of the Father, that we have a Father in heaven who loves us so much that he would give up the greatest cost humanity has ever known or seen, his one and only Son. If I gave up Jude, I would still have three other kids, but this is the Father's only Son. His one and only son. I'm like, what a fierce love. How fiercely loved are you by God in heaven? How fiercely loved are you this morning? Are you guys aware how loved you are? Are we aware how loved we are? And I'm reading this and I'm like, it's not just that he's a father, it's that he's our father. You know, Jesus, when he's teaching to his disciples in, in Matthew chapter 6, he's saying, this is how you should pray. You should pray, our Father in heaven. He didn't say, our Father. He didn't say, God up there. He didn't say, dear, dear, as Gen Z loves to say, Sky Daddy. He didn't say, like, any of that. <laughs> yes, it's true. They love to say that. I was a youth pastor not long ago. He didn't say any of these kind of removed terms, but he said, our Father. Father. And to me, when I'm reading it, when I'm studying, when I was preparing for this weekend, I'm like, there's something beautiful about that possessive adjective, our. It's like, he is our father. He's not just a father. He is a father, but he's our father. He's my father. And it's not just that he came for the world. It's not that the father sent his one and only son for the world, but he sent the one and only son for me. Come on, tell somebody next to you, he sent the one and only son for you so that you might not die, so that you might not perish, but that you could live in eternity forever with him because of his great love, the love of the father. I'm like, this alone, I'm like, get the band back up, put on how he loves on repeat, and let's just bask in this reality. We are loved. He's our father. Galatians 2, 26, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. 
John chapter 1, verse, verse 12 and 13, to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, see what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of love, a children of God, and so we are. See what kind of love the Father has given. Take a second. What kind of love our Heavenly Father has given us that we might be called children of God? Jesus. Jesus, it is our privilege to stand before you today. I just feel like the Lord is just like kind of correcting some of our hearts for places where we've taken for granted this this salvation, this Christianity, the right to be known as Christ's followers. We are so grateful, Lord, that you looked at us in all our mess, in all our unworthiness, and you said, I will die for them. I will give my one and only son for them. Father, we are so grateful. May we catch this reality today that those who believe in you, that those who believe in your son, Jesus, that he came and died on the cross for us and those who are baptized in your name are forever saved. We are so grateful. And I want to ask us this morning, how many of us, how many of us are living in this reality that we are truly loved? This, this reality of sonship, this reality of daughtership, that we are loved and fully known. How many walked in today like full of confidence in your identity in Christ, in your authority as believers, in your place within the royal family of God? We're going to get into that in a minute. All right. So turn to your Bibles, Luke chapter 15. We're going to start down at in verse 11, and we're going to read the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son. At this moment in time, Jesus is traveling through different towns and villages, and he's teaching as he's making his way towards Jerusalem. And the scriptures tell us that at one point in time or another, that Jesus is surrounded by tax collectors and sinners, and the Pharisees and the scribes who are gathered as well, who are nearby, they start grumbling, seeing these tax collectors, seeing these sinners. And they're like, who is this man who, who sits and eats and, and lives with these sinners, who receives them? And so Jesus begins to dive into different parables. There's, there's three different parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then where we're going to come here, which is the, the, the lost son. And talking about pursuing the broken and the lost and God's love for the broken and the lost, okay? So we're going to pick it up in verse 11, and we're going to all, read all the way through verse 32. So let's do it. And Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together. He journeyed to a far country and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a, sit, 
to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine that the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise, and I will go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose, and he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. What a sight. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And you know what? Bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Now his older son was in a field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he's received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fattened calf. But he was angry, and he would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him, And so he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, and you killed the fat calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have to yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. I love this story. I want to pull out, I want to look at the three different characters in the story. I want to look at the father, I want to look at the son, the prodigal son, then I want to look at the elder brother for a minute. We're going to start with the father. I'm fascinated reading this story that the father, looking at the nature, looking at the character of the father in this story, that he was the type of man that would even agree to give the inheritance early. What a gracious father. There was, there was some precedence to give inheritance early, but for the most part, inheritance, we know, are given after the death and the passing of your parents, of your father. And so this son comes and asks him, give me my inheritance now. And the father, knowing he probably had ulterior motives, knowing that he probably wasn't going to use it the, the most wise, he, he still gives him his inheritance. And this is just like the nature of God, that God is a God of free will. God is a God of freedom. That God allows us, God doesn't force you to follow him. God doesn't force you to spend eternity with him. That's actually his kindness. Why would he force somebody to spend all of eternity with him that hates him? And it's like, I'm reading this and I'm like, even the nature that this is the type of father that would look at his son that knows he might not 
he might not use the best, but I'm going to still give it to him. Because he could have refused him. What a kind and loving father, extending this free will, giving this son choice. It's a beautiful thing. He's loving. He's compassionate. He's incredibly kind. This is who the father is, everybody. He's kind. He's good. He's generous. He doesn't withhold from us. And then we see when the, when the son returns, having squandered everything, probably didn't look the best. We know that he was incredibly famished. He'd been spending some time with the pigs, probably smelled. Probably didn't look the best. A little disheveled. Y'all say disheveled. It's a fun word, disheveled. Um, but it says the father sees him, and while he was a long way off, the father ran to him. And I'm like, this sight of this father, like it's one thing to see the, our mothers up in here. Mom, the mothers, every single mother would have been running and kissing their son. But to see our, all our dads, come on, represent dads. Where's our emotional dads in the room? All right. Running to this son, tackling him to the ground, and profusely kissing him, kissing his neck. This is what it was. If I was Carlos Rodriguez, we would enact it. I would tackle Devon to the ground. I would kiss him all over the neck, and it'd be awkward. So, <laughs> but this, this father, you know, did something untypical. You know, it was, it was, not, it was not really looked upon well for, for a man in, in that culture to pull up his, his outer garments, to expose his legs, to run to his son, but he did. He saw his son and he was moved with compassion. What I need us to understand today, we're talking about the nature of our father. This is the kind of God he is. He, he sees this disheveled son. He sees the son and the son begins to, to give his prepared speech. Father, I've sinned. Father, I've squandered everything. I've I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And what does the father do? Come on, what does the father do? He lovingly ignores him. He lovingly ignores him. And he's like, listen, bring the best robe. Not just a robe, but bring the best one. Bring my ring of authority. Bring my covering and place it on my son. Bring my sandals and put them on my son. Get the fat calf slay it, cook it. Let's throw a party. My son that was lost is finally found. My son that was gone is finally home. And he's just like, I just feel like he's beaming. He's smiling. He's crying. He's snotting because this son of his, despite squandering everything, is his son. And what a picture of you and I and our humanity. As we so often squander it, we can mess it up. We can miss the mark. And how does the Father look at us? You know, going back to that verse, John three sixteen, right? Like he saw it all. He saw the beginning and the end, and he still chose us. I have been consumed with this, this just perplexity of the fierce nature of God's love, that God would, that we could be fully known and yet fully loved is a something only God could do. I think the second closest relationship would be marriage. But even then, like the deepest, darkest thoughts that we just don't even know to vocalize, 
God looked at us. He looked at every choice we would make and he would say, I'll choose you. And I love you. And I'm gonna continuously place my best robe on you, place my ring of authority on you, which was basically like the family bank account, everybody. You could use that ring to pay for things. And he's like, I will give you access to the bank account. I'll welcome you back in this home despite squandering everything. Again, I love my son and I hope that that would be my response. But listen, if Jude was so rebellious and squandered everything, I think I would have a few things to say in my flesh. But our God is loving. He's kind. He is the perfect parent. And none of this, none of these, none of these four things given to the son, the robe, the ring, the, the sandals, or the party, none of it was necessary. Father could have welcomed him back in the home, made it kind of hush-hush, but the father like went above and beyond to show his love for the son, to make sure, I'm gonna make sure my son knows how loved he is. I'm just, wow, God, you're good. He goes so far above merely meeting our needs, doesn't he? It's what he does for his children that he loves. It's what he does for us. It's what he's done since the fall of humanity in the Garden of Eden. Found a way to reconcile himself, ran to us while we were a long way off. The Bible says in Romans that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Woven all throughout scripture is the nature of the kindness and the goodness of the Father. For God so what the world? Love the world. Secondly, I want to look at the prodigal son. I think is often the closest example of you and I. Well, there's definitely some elder brother traits in there we'll get to in a minute. You know, the son wasted everything. He wasted his inheritance, spending money and resources freely and recklessly. He was wastefully extravagant. His brother said with harlots, prostitutes, who knows, all kinds of things he got up to. And it was probably fun while it lasted. But in the end, he's left empty. He's left unsatisfied. <laughs> Sin makes a terrible master. And so this son is totally in lack. And a famine arises in the land. And this, this son, he's reaching rock bottom. You know, in the, in the book of Leviticus, I think chapter 11, it, it talks about how, how the Jewish people weren't supposed to eat swine. They weren't supposed to eat pigs. And yet here is this son receiving a job to work with pigs. Something detestable to the Jewish people. This is like an all-time low. And he's so hungry that he's like, not only am I going to take a job to work with the pigs, I want to eat the same thing as the pigs. And, but no one will give me anything. I'm just like, we just need to sometimes close our eyes and like picture this broken, kind of had an all-time low. <laughs> Has anyone ever worked with pigs? We're driven by a pig farm. It does not smell good. There was pig farms where we lived growing up and Lord help me. If you work with pigs, I'm sorry if I offend you. <laughs> But this, this son, he, he finally kind of comes back to his senses and he, 
He's like, listen, I mean, my, even my father's servants are tra- treated better. So I'm going to go back. I'm going to say, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He has a speech prepared. And, but I love this. It kind of shows like a truly repentant heart that he, he recognizes he's messed up so bad. He's prepared to be like, I can't be your son. I, I'm like, I'm only worthy to be a servant. And it's just all, really all three parables, actually, the lost coin, the lost sheep, they kind of share this, this theme of repentance. But I want to, for a moment, propose that how often are we like the prodigal son How often do we mess up? How often do we squander things? How often do we miss the mark? And we're living in shame. We're living in our brokenness. We're living with our heads down. And we come to God with our speeches. We've been untruthful in our jobs. We've been dishonest. We've been full of gossip and slander and pornography or unkind to our children or our wives, whatever it is, and we fall into this shame and this unworthiness. And we're like, God, um, listen, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And we forget the true nature of our God. And we try to earn the affection of God back. You can't do anything to earn his love. It was freely given, everybody. That's the good news of the gospel. His love was freely given. You can do nothing to earn his love. The only requirement is that you believe in Jesus. And we forget, we fall into the shame when we forget the nature of the one who called us by name, who knit us together in our mother's womb, who knows every single hair on our head. Like, do you know how involved God is with you? Do you know how intricately he knows you? You know, years ago, I had this revelation. The Lord showed up to me and he said, Aaron, you feel like you're a burden to me. And I like instantly knew it to be true. And so I was like, oh Lord, I did all that I know to do when the Lord tells me little nuggets like that. I said, oh Lord, I'm so sorry. Like, please forgive me. And he said, Aaron, you feel like you're a burden to me and you're never a burden to me, son. Because I felt like, especially as a teenager in my sin, as a teenager, I struggled with, I struggled with pornography. And I remember time and time again, I would, I would mess up. I really loved the Lord. I would go to conferences. I had a heart for the Lord. I'd read my Bible. I'd worship. I'd pray. But I was struggling with this thing. And I would come to the Lord after messing up, full of shame, full of unworthiness, and time and time again, I would, I would be in my room, I'd be weeping, playing worship music, and I'd be like, Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm giving him my best speech, right? I'm like quoting Psalms 51 after David, you know, sleeps with Bathsheba. That's like a go-to rep- like psalm of repentance to read through, you know. Cleanse me, wash me whiter than snow. Cleanse me with hyssop, you know, all of it. And I'm just like repenting to the Lord. And the Lord began to consistently say this thing to me, through a couple years of my struggles with that. And he would say, Aaron, you have such a pure heart. And it wrecked me. I don't think y'all understand. Like, I was like, Lord, how can I, there was the first time he ever said that to me. I said, how can you say that? I said, how can you say that? I have anything but a pure heart. And he would say, you have such a pure heart. 
And that's just who he is. Call me my name. He doesn't call me by my sin. He doesn't look at our past. He doesn't look at our mistakes. When we come with true repentance, he forgives and he puts a robe on us and a ring on us every single time. It's just who he is. We are not a burden to him. You are not a burden to the Lord. He loves you today. If you don't know that, I need you to know it. He fiercely loves you. You are truly loved. How many know John 3, 17? It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever shall believe in them shall not perish but have eternal life, right? And then it goes on to say, For I did not come to condemn the world but to save the world. He is not your condemner. He is your Savior. He is not your condemner. He is your Savior. <laughs> So this morning, on this day, this Father's Day, may we know the true nature of our Father. What a good God He is. What a kind and loving Father He is. As Paul says in Romans 5.20, where, where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. Of course, we know in the Scriptures it's not an excuse to sin. We shouldn't. The nature of Christ is that as we live by the Spirit, sinning should become less easy. But we know that when we mess up, when we stumble, He's full of love for us. Lastly, I want to look at the elder brother. The older brother's upset. He's like, how dare you? <laughs> how dare you throw a party for my brother? He's squandered everything. He's ruined everything. He's thrown it all away. Your inheritance, he's effectively spat in your face, Lord. And yet you're like, here, let's throw a party. Let's put all the authority and the covering of the household on him again. And Lord, you've never done that. You've never given me a, a feast to have with my friends, but you, you, you slay the fatted calf for him. And the father, the father clearly loves his son because when, when, when the elder brother wouldn't go into the feast, the father left his position in the party, left his place of honor to go and find him. And he said, listen, you're missing the point. I love you. All that I have is yours. All that I have is yours. All that I've ever had is yours. And how easily is this us too? It's like somebody gets favor and we can't celebrate it. We're bitter. We're full of judgment. We're angry. We're like, how dare they? Listen, the nature of how able we are to celebrate another person might show the level of healing and love of the Father that we actually carry. And it's like, the Father's like, don't forget all that I already have is yours. Everything that I have is yours. And so often we can live in our own bitterness. We can live in comparison. We can, we can just think that we don't have it, think that somebody else is getting the, our, their moment. And the Lord is like, everything that I have is yours. Catch the fire, Raleigh. Everything that I have is yours. Sons and daughters, everything that I have is yours. You don't need to grumble. You don't need to grumble at somebody else's successes. I have enough. 
God's not going to run out of thunder. Can't steal somebody's thunder. Like God has too much thunder to give. He's the author and perfecter of thunder. Like he has enough to give around. He's got enough favor. He's got bucket loads. He's got plenty. He's got a limitless supply. He has everything that you need. All authority in heaven and earth. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in us. And I'm reading this story and I'm like, I feel like on some level, both sons missed the mark. And what I feel like they were guilty of was not knowing the nature of their father in their house. Because the son could have come home. He didn't have to give the speech. He could have just come with a repentant heart. He didn't have to say, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He could have just repented for his behavior. And the elder brother feels like he's in lack, feels this comparison when it's like, listen, everything that I have is your son. And it's like both sons missed the mark and didn't realize the very culture and nature of the father and house that they grew up in. You know, many years ago, when I was in, I don't know, some grade, maybe grade eight, maybe grade nine, we moved homes and just like to a different place in the same city. And one of my close friends, his name was Malcolm, Malcolm didn't realize that we moved. I don't know why. Maybe we weren't as close as close at that time. We were still friends. But he somehow didn't get the memo that we moved homes. And so one day, Malcolm tells me this story. He's like, so I showed up at your house the other day, and I opened the door. I walked in, and I went straight to the fridge. And this is a true story. And I began to look for something to eat. And he was like, and all of a sudden, these people, like somebody came out and was like, hello? And he said, he's like holding the fridge door and he's like, hello? And apparently he was like, is Aaron here? And the the owners of this house, of our old house, they were like, "Um, they moved. And he just closed the fridge door slowly and went, okay. And walked out the door and didn't come back, obviously. And so he tells me this story and I'm like, are you kidding me? That is hilarious. But what's the point? The point is that Malcolm, my friend, he knew the culture of my house. He knew what it was to be a friend of the Ninibers. It's like, you can walk in, you can open the door, don't knock. That's ridiculous. Come in, you want a snack? Sure, go to the fridge and eat. He understood the culture of our house. He understood the culture of my parents, that he could freely come as he was. You know, there's this this story Heidi Baker used to tell, this honestly tragic story of the the orphan kids that she would adopt as as biological, not as biological, but as adopted kids into her home. And they were so so used to kind of their way of living and, and being an orphan and fighting for themselves that even though that they were legally adopted as her son or her daughter, those that she became close with, she found that they would begin to store food and like Cokes and different treats and hide it in their rooms from their fridge. And they had to go to their kids and be like, like, I need to teach you how to be a son or a daughter. You've been an orphan so long, I need to teach you how to be a son. That everything in the fridge is yours. It's not going to run dry. Mom and dad are going to keep filling it up. (laughs) Everything in here is yours. 
And how many of us today is the Lord like, I need to teach you how to be a son. You've been an orphan for far too long. And you've forgotten that all that I have is yours. Jesus. Jesus, may we boldly approach your throne with confidence. You know, I believe this story is really, it's all about the Father. It's all about what the Father is like. It's all about the great lengths that he would go to to restore us to himself. It's all about the great love he has for his lost, for his children. And the reality today is that we are all in need of Jesus. We are all in need of what the Father did, sending his perfect son for us. We are all in need of the Father and his sacrifice. And in our own strength, we can, we can easily fall into one of the habits of these two brothers, missing the mark of feeling full of shame, of living in shame and regret and pain and sin, and, or we can live in lack and comparison and not realize all that we have authority to, all that has already inside of us and has been given to us. And today I just, I feel like the Lord is continuously if not every time, we'll never apologize for he's pointing us to himself. That he is everything for us. The Father, that Jesus and the Father is everything in the Holy Spirit for us. That in order to be a good employee, in order to be a good brother or sister or parent, student, teammate, husband, wife, boss, whatever scenario you find yourself in, we need him. And there's been this like phrase that was just circling my heart the last week, which is this phrase, I must have more. I must have more of you. Lord, would you teach me your ways? Father, would you teach me your ways? Jesus, would you teach me your ways? Lord, would you help me not to stay in my sinfulness? Would you help me not to stay in my shame? Would you help me to understand all that you've given me, all that I carry? I need you. You know, I was laughing earlier when you said five kids, Dominic, because I'm like, Lord, having valor already, our fourth kid was obedience. It was. I came to this place. I always wanted four kids. I grew up in a family of four kids. And there was this moment where I said to the Lord, again, being a guy, I always wanted four. I always want four. And I came to this place where I was like, you know what, God? I had a conversation with the Lord and I said, I'm good. I said, this is so hard. This is harder than anything I could have ever imagined. Lord, I am good with three. I will never look back. I will never say what if. I will, like, nope. And so I had this conversation with the Lord and it was great. I felt super solidified. Like it felt solid. You know what I mean? Like it changed my heart. I was good. And then Jess, who has never wanted four kids, she's only ever wanted three. She's about to put away this baby swing we got down for some friends who had a newborn and were visiting our house. And she had this thought, she said, maybe I should sell this or maybe I should get rid of it. And the Lord spoke to her clear as day. Clearly she hears better than me. And the Lord said to her, because the Lord should have rebuked my prayer or something. And the Lord said to her, no, it's for your son. And I didn't even have a moment to tell Jess my conversation with the Lord before she comes and tells me, she's like, well, this happened. The Lord spoke to me and said, basically, you're having a son, like you're to have a son. 
And she told me that, and I was literally like, are you freaking kidding me? I was like, <laughs> I was like, Jess, I just had a conversation with the Lord where I said, I'm good, I'm done. Like, God, Lord, I don't want anymore. I won't look back. I was a fourth kid that my mom didn't initially want. She got pregnant when my brother was very young, and she didn't want me. So I did say when I was young, I said, the Lord will always have a, a seat at the table, the conversation of how many kids I have. And so clearly the Lord took that by heart, and as we began to pray about it, we're like, it's the Lord. We're on a walk one day, and I lovingly said to the Lord, probably in a little bit of rebellion, I said, Lord, you think we can handle it. I think you're wrong. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you're saying to do it, so we're going to do it. We're going to follow your voice. We're going to obey. We're going to follow you, Jesus. And I am here before you as one of those, as an elder brother, that's like, Lord, I need to continuously realize that all of your authority and your ability is inside of me. Lord, that I need you to be a good parent to this son. Lord, I have three crazy kids and you gave me a fourth. And Lord, help me. I need help. Jesus, I need help with the sleep. Jesus, I need help being kind when the kids are driving me crazy and I want to pull up my non-existent hair. Lord, help me. <laughs> I could pull my beard out, but that would be awkward. My sister actually would twirl her hair and pull it out when she was little, and people thought she was like balding or had cancer or something as a child. So I haven't had to deal with that. So things are going pretty great, actually. <laughs> but today, whether you're on top of the world or whether you are in the dumps, the reality is he is a good and loving father. He is the perfect parent. When we can't, he can. When we are unable, he is absolutely able. The Bible says that it is through weakness that his strength is made perfect. God uses the foolish things to confound the wise. It's like he is really good at taking broken things and making something incredible. And so this morning, I just felt like there was an invitation for for those of us, just to meet with the Father, to come to Jesus, to receive the Holy Spirit. They're all three in one, so we can use them interchangeably, let's be honest. So I want to invite you just to, why don't you just stand with me? Romans 8.16 says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The Lord is continuously testifying to us, reminding us, telling us, showing us that we are God's children. He's like, I'm not going to let you forget it. I'm not going to let you forget it, that you're my kids. I'm going to do something so out there. I'm going to do something so exuberant. I'm going to place this, this robe and these rings and this, throw a party for you. You're not going to forget it, how loved you are. So it's real simple today. If you want more, just say, Lord, I must have more. Lord, I must have more. Lord, I must have more. I just feel like the Lord is, is telling me that there's an opportunity just for even repentance. 
You know, every one of these stories that Jesus shares to the, to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, it really comes down to coming back to Jesus in, in full repentance and the love of the Father as he receives us. And I want to say today that none of us are too far gone. None of us are too far removed. That we are fiercely and uniquely and wonderfully loved. So just take a moment and just say, Lord, maybe you're actually in the other position. You're like, Lord, I just, I feel like I don't understand you. I don't understand what I carry. Lord, I, I repent. Would you show me? Whatever camp you're in, just begin to just pray before the Lord. Come on, we don't need special music. We don't need to come down. Just, just take a moment between you and the perfect father and say, Lord, would you come? I repent for any any bondage, any shame, any strongholds I've been holding on to. I repent for thinking less of myself than you think of me. Jesus, we come into your embrace, which is the embrace of the Father, because you, you do everything you see your Father doing. Lord, would you show us all that's inside of us? Would you free us today? We thank you for who you are in our lives, and we worship you. Thank you for being the perfect father, Lord. Would you teach us how to walk in your ways? But most importantly, would you teach us what you're like so we can live a life like you? We can live a life like you designed. I want to give one invitation this morning and that's the invitation that we will continuously give all the rest of our days and that's if anyone just in this room feels like they need more we would love to lay hands on you pray for you baptize you again in the Holy Spirit pray that you would encounter the Father we know that so much happens through the laying on of hands when you look through scripture and you look through even our revival history even Duncan, our senior leader, as he got baptized in the Father's love as some kind of goofy guys, if you've ever heard the story, laid hands on him. If you need a revelation of the Father, of Jesus, of the Holy Spirit, whatever you need today, the Lord wants to meet with you. And so I want to invite you to come to the front. We have a ministry team that would love to pray for you. For the rest of us, we want to bless you. Have an amazing Father's Day. Amen.